Amen. Well, Josie, thank you for leading. Despite not feeling well, I remember back in my earlier life, I used to get to lead worship some. And there was one particular occasion where I had a similar type situation going on. And as I was leading worship, I go to hit a note and something comes out of my mouth that is not even human sounding. And, uh, and it would not come off of that note and hung there for quite a bit. And there was no uh, reviving that particular uh, service. It was quite interesting. I still get ribbed by some friends that I used to lead worship with. Well, good morning and welcome to the holidays. And I say that because for many of you, the holidays are, uh, are joyful, but for a lot of people, they're not. For a lot of people, holidays bring a lot of memories of negativity or uh, things that aren't as exciting and encouraging for you. And so my prayer for us as we walk through these next few weeks, month, I guess, between now and Christmas looking at where the holiday season kind of begins with Thanksgiving and then goes through the end of the year and the first of the year. Uh, my prayer is that over the next few weeks that God will rejuvenate our focus. The truth of God's word is that it doesn't necessarily, it, it can't change our circumstances per se. We know God is providential and in control of all circumstances. But yet our circumstances sometimes are just not the best. And, as, and, and maybe your past has not been the best when, it looked, when it's centered around the holiday season. But my prayer is that we, maybe, we won't be able to change the circumstances, but that we can refocus our attention and focus on Christ through these, this season. Because I really believe that, that if we can, it's like anything we've studied over the last few weeks, when our gaze and our focus is shifted onto Jesus, it shifts it away from the things that discourage and, and, and that, that, are, that are difficult for us. And so beginning next week, we're going to have a chance, and I'll talk about that in just a bit, we're going to have a chance to walk through a season together focusing in on Jesus Christ and this season and what it means for us. So my prayer is that as a faith family, this will be a season like none other where we experience the presence of God like we never have uh, before. But I do hope that you had an incredible week this past week and a time to reflect on the goodness of God and to reflect on how thankful that we are to him. You know, God blesses us so much. He blesses us richly and deeply when he doesn't have to. But we know that in all seasons, even when we're going through a season where his blessings are a little harder to detect, we know that we have much to be thankful for because he has given us the gift of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that to as like a cliche kind of catchphrase thing that we have to say, but literally, in this life, we have always have something to be thankful to God for because he has given us salvation through Jesus Christ. That's huge. That's a huge thing for us to focus in on. And I pray that we will not become numb and desensitized to that statement alone. Well, last week we ended our study and our, on our, in our journey through the book of Luke. And so for literally over two years, 
we have been able to slowly and methodically walk in the footsteps of the disciples of Jesus as they walked with him on his journey to the cross. As they saw Jesus do the things that he did, perform the miracles he would perform, teach the things he would teach, demonstrate to them the lifestyle that they should live. And we were able to take a glimpse into that scene for that period of time. And my prayer from that series as we've wrapped it up is that this story will impact you daily as you seek to follow Jesus. That the gospel of Luke will be that baseline for you. That as you walk and as you, as you journey following after Jesus, that that study of Luke will be, be the baseline that, that, that you build your, your, your life around. That you're able to say, because of Jesus, that's the person that I'm trying to grow in discipleship to walk more like. I pray that your heart will be flooded constantly by the power of the gospel at work in you. And so last week when we were look, wrapping up Luke, we looked at the importance of God's word in our lives as we follow Jesus. And we, and we looked at how, how Jesus, in, in the middle of, of reappearing to the disciples, as, as Brady preached on the resurrection, and then we looked at when Jesus came back to his disciples, and he kept pointing them back to the scriptures. It says, as he was walking on the road, he, he opened their eyes to see the scriptures. When he goes into the room where the disciples have gathered, he just appears he, he teaches them from the prophets and the scriptures. And so we looked at how from that we learned four significant truths of why we place such high value on God's word as his followers. And we talked about because his word reveals God to us. So just as he revealed himself through the scriptures to his disciples, in the same way God through his word reveals himself to us. So we want to read and study and learn so that God can reveal his nature and his character to us. We talked about how, how the, the, the high value on the word of God, it sanctifies us. That is part of that sanctifying process as we learn on God, learn from God. We talked about how it equips us, that we're on a mission, we have a message to proclaim. We need his gospel, we need his word in us, so it equips us for the mission. And then we talked about how it's satisfying, that the word of God is just satisfying to just, just implant our lives and learn from it. And so coming off of that, Luke ends his gospel by quoting Jesus' words to his disciples in, in Luke 24, verse 48 and 49, when he says this. He tells them, he says, you are witnesses of these things. So everything that has taken place, Jesus ends as he's getting ready to depart the earth. He ends by saying, guys, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But he says, but stay in the city. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus would give his disciples the mission. Matthew talks about it and builds out that portion uh, where we, what we call the great commission that was given to his disciples. But Jesus would give his disciples the mission, but then he would tell them to wait on the power. These are the departing words of Jesus. 
After all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus has taught, these are the departing words of Jesus to his disciples. His last battle cry before he leaves them to complete the mission that he had told them from the beginning that at one day he would leave and they would be the ones to carry out the mission. And now this is taking place and he gives them the last words of advice and he tells them to hurry up and wait on the power. Why did Jesus choose this message as his last encouragement to his followers? Think back over the, the, the Luke series that we looked at in his gospel. Think about all that he has taught them to this point. Think about all they have seen. Think about everything that he has emphasized. And yet what he leaves them with is a challenge to complete a mission, but not until they have received the power. So Jesus knew the Holy Spirit was the only way they could accomplish the mission he put before them. The only way. I mean, look at the resumes of those that Jesus called to follow him. I could go down the list of unqualified people. They weren't recruits from the best seminary in the ancient world. In fact, these guys were most likely the seminary rejects, the ones who did not have a rabbi to follow. And Jesus calls them. They were commoners. And he chose them for the very purpose of displaying his power through weakness and insufficiency. So he says he chooses these guys and he's going to manifest his power at work through the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people to show the power of God so that he receives glory alone. And he tells them that he's leaving, but he would equip them for the task. Now the disciples, the disciples here, they weren't so crazy about Jesus leaving. Okay, they they had understood that Jesus said, I'm going to leave. And they weren't excited about that. Even to the very end, it was a little bit troubling for them. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples in reference to his leaving about uh, what, what it will look like, what will happen. And he tells them this in John 16, beginning with verse 4. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So Jesus is telling him, I'm leaving. And he says, sorrow has filled your heart. But nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict them concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And he says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it 
to you. So even Jesus, even Jesus expressed to his disciples prior to this moment that they needed the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would not only be their guide as he would, he would be the the guide for his people. He would serve as a role of guiding them and empowering them for the mission. But he goes on to tell them that the Holy Spirit also has a role and that the Holy Spirit would glorify Jesus. So we know how Luke ended. We know what happens now. But I want us to reflect on the rest of the story. Now I love movies that are based on true stories. I love TV shows that are based on true stories. I like to watch not reality TV because it's actually not reality. I like to watch TV shows that are actually based on realistic events and people. And I love that at the end of movies, you know, one thing that just brings such intrigue to me is when the events are, are when they're based on these factual situations and then we come to the end of the movie and they'll usually tell you about what happened after the movie. So they'll roll, you know, you'll watch this real, real inspiring movie. I like a lot of sports movies. And you, you, you watch these inspirational things. And at the end of the movie, as the, right before the credits roll, it tells you what happened in their lives after the events of the movie. Where the people are at now. What do they end up doing with their life after the movie? Well, this morning, I want us to kind of roll the credits. And I want us to see the spectacular events that followed the Gospel of Luke kind of a a Luke rewind before we, as we tie a bow around this series, I want us us to see what happened after Luke. You know, what what took place and for us to see that that what happened after Luke and what happened during the book of Luke was actually just the beginning of the story. The book of Acts serves as part two of the book of Luke. As Luke wrote both books, and and from the first few verses, we see the common theme that has been emphasized throughout the book of Luke, emphasized in the book of Acts, and that is Luke's emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to just walk through through the book of Acts very slowly and 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 or very quickly, and and allow me just to to try to build out some major themes this morning. And so we're going to just do a little survey really quick. And then I want us to pull some truths out of that because if Luke, if Jesus talks so much about the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us and he tells the disciples that you will receive power and he says you're going to receive the promise of God when I give you the Holy Spirit, then, then I want to, and then we go to Acts and we see how that actually happens. I want us to see what happened after Luke, what happened to the church, how did they grow, how did they advance, how did the gospel spread throughout the ancient world and then to where we are today. And then I want us to pull some common threads that I think you and I need to be sensitive to as as characters in this story of redemption, that our lives are written into this story and we have this same calling to carry out the same mission by the same power. And so I want us to look as we kind of do an overview, and I'll hit some of the scriptures, and you follow along if you can, but we'll put most of them on the screen. But we begin in Acts chapter 1. So, so Luke has written the gospel of, of, of Jesus through, the, through his, his eyes, through Luke's eyes, and now we get to Acts, and we see kind of a recap of what happened there at the ascension of Jesus. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples that the forerunner to the mission for them would be the power of the Holy Spirit. So we ended the book of Luke by him saying, you need to go to the city and wait for the power, and then we see it reiterated in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when, when Jesus tells his followers that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells them that, that you will receive power. Until that point, you do not have power for the mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses ultimately to the ends of the earth. So we see here that the people of God actually do, actually work out the mission of God by the Spirit of God. Okay, so the people of God work out the mission of God by the Spirit of God. Jesus did ministry by the Spirit, and now he has implanted the Spirit in us to do ministry. So he tells them, well, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does come. And it says it rushes on the disciples like a rushing wind. And, and, and they begin to speak in tongues of many languages. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, who only days before had denied all relationships with Jesus, now preached the sermon on the, on the day of Pentecost, which would catalyze the formation of the early church as he speaks through the power of the Holy Spirit, working through his words, and it transformed the hearts of the people, and they fell before him, and they prayed, and they said, what do we have to do? His message was so powerful and so convicting that these people he spoke to just said, you just tell us what to do. We, we see it. And Peter says in verse 38 of chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Check this out. For the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he tells them, this is what you have to do. You have to repent and be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. I mean, in the name, in the name of the, it says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see these new believers, 3,000 people were saved that day. And then we see the formation of the church and we see how a spirit-formed people live. In Acts chapter 2, a uh, familiar verse beginning with verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. And they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they attended the temple together and they, break, they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, daily, he added to their number those who were being saved. The people of God filled with the Holy Spirit of God, being formed together as a collective people of God, carrying out the mission of God and seeing the mission of God grow in advance because of the power at work within them. When we go through Acts and we learn about the disciples of Jesus and they were doing many miracles through the power of God at work through them. If you read through these, these chapters after chapter 2, but with the advancement of the gospel, they began to experience a lot of opposition and a lot of persecution. One particular occurrence came from the story of Stephen who experienced death by stoning and had an onlooker there by the name of Saul who stood and approved of the events. And in Acts 9, we read about Saul, who we know as Paul, after being a persecutor of the church, being a rebel against the church, persecuting the people of God, standing while Stephen was martyred and giving approval to the situation. We read about Paul being blinded on the road to Damascus and through this experience, hearing from God. And it says that 
that through the Holy Spirit, he was converted and the scales fell from his eyes. And he would go on to be the greatest missionary we read about in God's word and would write a large portion of the New Testament. It said through the Holy Spirit, his eyes were open to the truth, both literally and spiritually to Jesus. Well, we get to Acts 10 and we see how God's incredible plan was not only for Israel, but that now Jews and Gentiles alike could experience salvation through Jesus. And we learn about Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who was a devout man and who actually prayed to the God of Israel, even though he was not an Israelite. And God hears his prayers and in a vision, he tells him to send for Peter. And at the same time, Peter has this vision. In this vision, God tells him to kill and eat food which beforehand had been deemed unclean. And Peter says, you know, what's going on here? And the Spirit tells Peter that someone is going to send for you. In a vision, he tells him this. And the Spirit tells him to go with the Gentiles that Cornelius sends to him. Well, Peter would, would go. He would go with them and he would open his mouth and he would teach Gentiles about Jesus. This shouldn't be happening. He should not be teaching to them. They can't receive Jesus, but the Spirit has told him to go. And, and Peter knew this shouldn't be happening and Cornelius knew this shouldn't be happening. But they both knew that God was involved and his Spirit had led in this. And the beauty of the gospel story of Jesus was that now because of God's grace, salvation was for all people. So we see in verse 44 of that chapter that while Peter was still preaching, Peter has not even delivered his, you know, his right hook punch to end the sermon. While he's still preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And we see the first conversion to Christ of anyone other than the Jewish people. So Peter doesn't get upset because the Spirit had a different agenda than he did. But in amazement, he says, if they have received the Holy Spirit then let's baptize them because obviously they have been converted. In Acts chapter 11, uh, he goes back, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and his circumcised friends of the nation of Israel, they say, Peter, what are you doing preaching the gospel to the unclean Gentiles? He goes on to tell them the story again. And in verse 17, he says these words, if then God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way and what was their reaction they glorify God and they said then to the Gentiles God has also granted repentance that leads to life so then we get to chapter 13 and we see the first church planting and multiplication happening says when the church was worshiping and they were fasting it says the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them In Acts 16, the Holy Spirit directs Paul and Silas to go to Macedonia. And through the Spirit's leading, they see the first conversion to Christianity from modern-day Europe. The gospel is beginning to expand because the Spirit is leading them and through prayer. And I could go on and on and on and on as we see through the end of Acts, the working of the Holy Spirit, working through the the people who have been redeemed. But, But what we see is a common connection That has been woven through the ending of Luke throughout the entire book of Acts. And that is this. That is that the power of the Holy Spirit is essential to accomplishing the mission. It's essential. The people were a people of prayer and fasting and sensitivity to the Spirit. And so I think about our church today. The church universal. And I think, shouldn't this be the expectation for us 
this, 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 this truth of the Holy Spirit working through his people, shouldn't this be the expectation for us and not a revelation for us? Rather than this being something that goes, wow, we, I see the Holy Spirit was, played a major role. Should that not be the expectation as we read the New Testament? I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you grew up on a deserted island with nothing but the Bible to read. And then suddenly you were rescued after 20 years and, and you attended a typical evangelical church. Chances are you would be really shocked at a few things. You probably would be shocked at the lack of and reliance and presence of prayer. You might also be shocked at the affluence of people in the Western world based on what we've read about the New Testament. That could be something that might be a little, little different. But I believe one thing that would blow us away is the lack of reliance by the church on the Holy Spirit. If in the book of Luke... We read that the power will come from the Holy Spirit to do the, t- do the mission. And we see the Spirit directing the formation and activity of the church. We would be shocked at how little reliance there is placed on the Spirit at work through God's people. Because in reading the scriptures outside of the context of modern day church culture, you would have assumed that prayer And the Holy Spirit's working through his power and guidance and presence would be the lifeblood of the church. We would assume that that would be the lifeblood of the church if that's how we read it. But what what has happened? Why has we of the church lost our urgency and reliance on prayer and the Holy Spirit's power? You know, we no longer have, have to fast and pray for the spirit to move among the local church because we have social media to do that we we don't have to rely heavily on prayer for God to grow his church because we have processes and methodologies to do that we don't humbly seek the presence of God in our lives because we honestly don't see the need for it and the use for it J.I. Packer says this. He says, The Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from Him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, There, in fact, will be no believers and no congregations at all. And there's great truth in this because if we aren't careful in our church culture, as we're looking post-Luke, looking at what the church was and should be, if we aren't careful, we can mistake the presence of physical bodies in a building as the existence of spiritual life. And as we, we may as well, uh, A.W. Tozer says this and says it very well. He says, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. He says, we have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek the higher plateaus and the things of the spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, 
manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord. And we have produced, in fact, a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Ghost. So I think the question that we have to ask ourselves as we look out of Luke into Acts and we've seen the advancement of the church I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we dependent on our abilities? Or maybe even say, are we satisfied with things the way they are? Or are we desperate for his spirit? The church in Acts was desperate for the Holy Spirit. And so coming off that, I want us to just look real briefly at, at what, what does the Holy Spirit do for the church, for us as, the follower, as followers of Jesus? There's several things that I think we can pull, we, we, we draw from Acts and from Scripture that help us to see this. First of all, I want us to see this morning that the reason we need the Holy Spirit working through us is because the Spirit provides life for us. The Spirit provides life. Now, let me be quick to, see, to say here that when I say the Spirit provides life, be, I want to be quick to say that, that life is given only through Jesus Christ. And through his intercession is the only way in which we can have eternal life. There is salvation through no one but Jesus. In Acts 4.12, actually, we read that there, through one of the sermons that was preached, we read that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But we also realize that God, through salvation through Jesus Christ, brings a, a new level of life to us through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. It, it brings purpose to life. It brings power to the mission in life. I want you to read with me, if you, you can flip there or look on the screen, Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 11 summarizes that that I just said. It says, but if, if Christ is in you, if you have eternal life through Jesus, if, life, if Jesus has given you life, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So through Christ, we are led from a place of death and destruction to a place of life and restoration through his Holy Spirit. Think about the change that this brought to the disciples in the early church. Peter had only a few days denied Jesus and then preaches a sermon that is spirit-filled that captures the heart of 3,000 people who give their life to Christ. Paul would write to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He would write this, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and we lived in envy, being hated and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, 
we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This, this new life through the Spirit empowers us, empowers the church, opens our eyes to see that the stuff of life does not compare to the joy that we have in Christ. And we cling to him because we want him more than anything else. We can take heart in knowing that our life on earth and our life eternal is completely secure through Jesus and revolutionized through the Spirit in us. Second thing that I think we see from the power of the Spirit working through the church in Acts is that the Spirit provides power. That goes without saying. That's kind of the theme that we've carried through this post-Luke look in Acts. But the Spirit provides power. So follow with me in this. Some of you need to hear this this morning, this, this part about the Spirit providing power. Because if you're honest with yourself, but you feel like you, you probably base your credentials for God to work through you based on your knowledge and your understanding, on your charisma, on your ability to be able to share and speak. But inside of you and me right now, there are two opposing forces at work. We read about this. There's a battle inside of us, Paul says, between the flesh and the spirit. Paul would say, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do, I don't do. He says, there's this war waging inside of me. In the flesh, we find ourselves fighting against those sinful areas of our heart, life, and our mind that still desire the things that are not of God. And in the flesh, we are defeated. We cannot will ourselves to consistently choose against the flesh. It's unsustainable. We are by nature children of wrath. But in the spirit, we have eternal victory over sin. And we also have daily victory as we fight against the flesh. So where does our power come from? First of all, we have power over sin. Let me show you this. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. You can follow along on the screen. Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So this is why we practice spiritual discipline. This is why we pray and study and fast. Not supremely so that we gain power over sin, but because we want Christ. We want more of Christ. And his spirit is changing our desires and developing our discipline to want him more and to resist sin. 
But not only do we have power over sin in our life, but we have power for the mission. We have power for the mission. We see all throughout the book of Acts, the early movement of God, as Jesus tells his disciples, before you run out on the mission, wait for the power. You will receive power. I believe in our culture that we live in. I firmly believe that we will not see a major movement by God in the hearts of the people in this city and in our country and the world if we do not rely on a God-sized power of the Holy Spirit to work through us. We may see some movement and we may be able to do some work and God will use us. But if we want to see a major movement of God, we will be completely reliant on his spirit and surrendering our wills and wants and desires to the spirit to move through us. We have a mission that we cannot complete on our own. But God has said, I will give you the power to complete the mission. So the spirit provided power, power for the church in Acts and he provides power for us as his followers. And thirdly, we see that the spirit provides fruit. See how this ends in Acts for the church. See what the people become. What a spirit-formed people look like. In Acts 2, we see what the people were like. They gave, they shared. This was not prescriptive per se. This was more descriptive. It showed, they, had no, they had no books to study, okay? When they became God's people, they didn't say, well, we need to go to the bookstore and get those books on community. We need direction on how we're going to do this thing. All they knew was that God had told them that when you will be changed and I will give you the spirit to accomplish the task. That's what they knew. And so they focused in on the apostles' teaching. They focused in on the fellowship. They just were naturally formed as a people who had been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So they clung to to the scriptures They kept reminding each other of what they were witnesses to through Jesus Christ. What they had seen, what what he had taught them. They pressed into those things. And they did life and it was a fruit that was produced in them. And the key to a healthy spirit-led people is not developing the fruits of the early church. But instead to press into the, the spirit, to abide in the branch as he produces fruit. You know, when we attack this fruit issue at the fruit level, and we say, you know, without our heart being really shifted and changed toward the power of the Spirit at working in us, what we find ourselves doing often is is clipping live fruit to a dead branch. And it's unsustainable for, for a season, it looks as if the fruit is healthy, but without nourishing and without it being produced from the vine, we end up having fruit that rots and dies. Our desire is to be filled with the Spirit, to abide in Jesus, and allow the Spirit to produce this fruit inside of us. So follow me here, to love more, to experience the joy and peace of Christ, to be patient and kind and good to others, to be faithful to God and be faithful to his calling, to be gentle to those you come in contact with, 
to be self-controlled in your life. We don't press into those qualities and train ourselves to live by them. We ask for more of the power of the Spirit and be, us being sensitive to the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. That the power of the Spirit of God will produce these fruits in our life. That's what happened to the early church. Do you see the big switch? It doesn't tell us exactly what they were like before, but we know from looking at the disciples, they were jealous people. They coveted other things. In fact, we see them sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, which one of us will get the prime seat next to you? That's what we want to know. We see that their lives were different. They were powerless. But the Holy Spirit comes and the switch flips. And they become a spirit-formed people that we read about in Acts 2 gave to each other, that we read about in Acts 4. They said there was not even a need among them because before the need even arose, it was met. This was not natural for humanity. But through the Holy Spirit, they were a formed people who, who lived out these virtues because of the Spirit working through them. So the Spirit provides fruit. And we want that. I want that for us. I want your life to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. And that comes through the power of the Spirit working through you. If you're a believer, you have the implanted Spirit of God inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. So we press into that and pray for the Spirit to produce in us this fruit that's God-honoring and gospel-advancing and Spirit-empowered. And then finally, we see the last thing, and that is that the Spirit provides community. We see some of this from the fruit that was produced among the people. We see through exploring the church post-Luke that the Spirit led to two things for them, and that was mission and community. Mission and community. God does things when we join together in community with God's people. I believe we see evidence through the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit worked extremely powerful in community. When Paul writes his instructions on the Spirit, he writes to a community of people. When Paul writes in all of his epistles, he's writing to a group of people. When they would get together to study God's Word, they often probably got together and studied in community. They didn't have their own copy. When they got together, they studied the copy that they had and they shared and God spoke to them. I think we see that there's a great advantage to the exercising of spiritual gifts in the context of community. And this is shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit. In community, this is where the Spirit will confirm things about your life through others. Transparency happens in community, which destroys the walls of self-righteousness and and replaces it with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit works through multiplication. As we see where we've had opportunities as a church to multiply community groups and multiply churches. That's only by the Spirit at work. The early church in Acts, they didn't go out. They didn't, they didn't have all this understanding. Do you see that? They didn't know how to be the church. They didn't know, oh, well, we're the church. We're supposed to plant churches. 
No, they just prayed and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to send out your, your two of your best. And they said, with the Spirit's leading, we'll do it. Paul, you got you to go. This is the Spirit. So the essential piece of, of a community that is formed around Jesus, of a gospel-centered community that enables us to live out our identity of Christ in Christ, of a family of missionary servants, is the Holy Spirit. And so as we, as we close this morning and, and, and kind of wrap completely this series and move on to the next, I didn't want us to leave without highlighting that thread. My prayer is that we lear- what we learn from Luke and Acts, that we learn how to be a people that are shaped by the gospel of Jesus. Do you see how the gospel is active in us? Do you see that the gospel is not just knowledge about the facts of Jesus? Now, gospel means good news. It is the good news of Jesus. But it's the good news of how Jesus uh, brought good news into a dark place. You know, for good news to be good, it has to invade bad places. And so the story of the gospel is not only did Jesus come... But that Jesus offers salvation to us and we are players in this story. Until Jesus returns, you and I are walking along in this same journey that the church that began in Acts was walking on. That you and I today sit in this room as recipients and as the formed church because of what happened in Acts. Because of the mission of God advancing through his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we could go on and on. There are so many theological truths about the Holy Spirit that we did not even touch. I don't want this sermon to be supremely about the Holy Spirit because there are so many truths about how the Spirit intercedes to God on our behalf and we don't even know how to pray. How the Spirit of God illuminates our hearts to be able to receive the truth of Jesus. How the Spirit of God ignites our worship And we could go on and on and on. But today, I just want us to receive a challenge this morning as we go forward and look to a new year as a church. What might happen if the people of God here, if we relied on the Holy Spirit completely to empower us in this work? What could happen? It's God's way. And God always blesses his plan. So my prayer as we look out of this series and into a new year, my prayer is just that. Will we as a people, will we find ourselves going back to the gospel and going back to the roots of the church that Jesus formed and finding ourselves being a people who are passionate and adamant about prayer? To find ourselves people who fast and pray for the presence and power and movement of God. To be a people who are passionate towards each other because the Spirit births that in our hearts. So we have a distinct group because we have a love that is unexplainable because it is against human nature. But completely a reflection of the power of, working, of God working through his people. We be a people who are hungry to know him more through his word. 
that we want to know Jesus. And so rather than spending our day in idle things, we know that he reveals himself through his word and through the spirit infusing and teaching us through his word and revealing God to us. So we want that more than anything. May that be what shapes us as a church. May our focus be on that and allowing God to be faithful to his scripture where he says, I will grow, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That we become a church that trusts that God is building his church. And in turn, we look to, to advance and build the kingdom through him working through us. I want that to define us. I want that to characterize us as his people. Not to develop a new methodology, but to go back to the beginning of a spirit-formed people and how they did life and how the spirit worked through them and how they saw amazing God-sized things happen as the spirit worked through his people. So this morning, may we hear the truth and receive the truth of God's word. May we embrace the promise that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon us. And may we, because we have the Holy Spirit, live out our mission in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth so that the gospel of Jesus might spread to all people. And that's my prayer for us this morning. Let's join together in prayer to that end.